Hello, it's Cornelius. The time is 9.11 a.m. and it's the 2nd of August. The next chapter I will be reading is called A Prisoner in My Head. I took a bottle of red wine to Harlem to sit at the Morningside Park. The experience was great and I enjoyed sitting on the hill, totally incognito, hitting from sight. The only creatures that I communicate with were the squirrels and the birds as I was relying on their company when loneliness set in. I was strong enough to abstain from drinking for nearly two weeks since I last drank those two beers. This disease is insidious and I never know when it will creep back into and talk to me into going out again. I didn't have enough control to say no entirely and this frustrated me. But I was more patient with the process, and I knew sobriety wouldn't happen overnight. Taken into account, I spent an entire military career boozing it up. I knew that it would not switch off overnight. I tried staying sober, but I gave up after Sunday brunch, feeling awkward that I was eating without an, uh, my usual dirty martini. What started out as a brunch cocktail turned into me going to the liquor store to buy a bottle of wine. Then I took the bottle to the park and drank the entire bottle talking to my squirrel friends. Before I drank the wine, I was sober and I was not feeling upset or angry over some wrong being done to me on the streets. But on this day, I could feel the remnants of my old self creeping back into, into my personality. This boiling, enraged passion brewed up deep emotions within the recesses of my psyche, creating emotions not identifiable in the sense where I am able to connect it to the root cause of my drinking habits. I began to feel dry about life and the world struck me as a prison, a state of unending scrutiny and miscalculations regarded my character, regarding my character, which felt like I had been locked me in an emotional labyrinth. C.G. Jung, explains of this state in the book memories dreams and reflections as a segment of existences which is enacted in a three-dimensional box-like universe especially set up for it i shared the sympathies of a psychopath who has cast his lot with the world and wishes to go on a rampage against those who who wish to destroy him first Evil thoughts entered my mind, convincing me of how I should feel about the injustices in the world. My ego desperately wanted a semi-automatic machine gun to spray down the masses of fools hindering me toward destiny. In those dark moments, there is no possible place for them but the grave in my mind. Yet today, I didn't feel as intense about wanting to harm people, but I embraced the idea as accompanying me, only making itself known when there is a need to pay attention to it as it could have personal or collective implications. I fantasized how it would line all my headers up, tying their hands behind their back, then lecturing them on the art of decency and moral conduct, then casually pointing a gun to their temple, pulling the trigger. This is the nature that I must reckon with daily. Was I striving to be like God or am I in fact God and have nowhere to go but down to be in the company of the devil and his angels maybe I was both entities and should not seek good and evil as absolutes when it was hard to know for sure Niccolo Machiavelli writes in The Prince and Discourses 
A man who wishes to make a profession of goodness in everything must necessarily come to grief among so many who are not good. Is everything subjected, subjective and relative to my person? I have tried to maintain order in my life because a good steward for, good, for goodness sake. Yes, experience has shown me that I can do better, but I know it's only a response to the enormous responsibility that I have been given on this earth. I did not yet know what it was, but clues were coming slowly through the unfolding of my dreams and instinctual impressions. Yet, yet I felt a resounding clarity pouring my life, pouring my heart to my lips and confessing, I will never have a moment of peace. That I will always have demons lurking, torturing my life, distracting me from myself. This realization appeared again after speaking at an AA meeting. The members wanted to hijack the floor again. Then I felt that I was being looked at in some type of way when it was my turn to speak. This impression could all have been in my head and I would much rather exist it there than be a real thing because it would connote that my perceived deplorableness has be gone beyond my will, branding me with the mark of detestation. It is proof the forces creating my enemies were creating them without my approval and despite my dissatisfaction of them. I could sit back and wait for the memories of brighter days to emerge, but my honest attempt to see my own life from this yoke, yet I scoff at how miserable and net those attempts have been. I was smart enough not to invite past failures in my head, but I could not describe the projections of people's disrespect as a private siege of my external objective experience where I am only a stigmatic observer, not able to be seen nor heard while existing in the sunken place. In this space, I must navigate the emotions arising from these unsolicited attacks the best way that I know how. The fight is usually in my head that becomes so taxing on my psyche as I wake up each morning asking the universe in which way it will treat me like crap today. How am I causing people to look at me with such spite in their eyes? to where they are where they are they are urged to move away from me how can i have the worst customer experience service experience and cause the cashier to look at me with such malice and scorn and the people on the street to show me the most blatant microaggressions without cause or reason how can i cause people to fidget around me and look at me suspiciously as i walk on the train what is in me or on me bringing about this unfairness of treatment I should be allowed to live unbothered by homophobia or racism, and I should be able to live with a sense of harmony and filial devotion for the creator without my merits being questioned, scrutinized, or circumvented. I hate having these thoughts, this feeling of not being valued reemerging in my life in every circumstance. It existed in the military, and it exists now that I'm in school. Now, I cannot shake the feeling that no matter what I do or say, it would never be good enough. No one genuinely wants to hear my voice or desire to see me walking in classroom. People only look at me as a nuisance or as an inconvenience to them without giving me the slightest consideration. That is why it is important that I reaffirm my commitment to myself and take care of my feelings regarding this treatment. No one cares when you're a gay black man, yet choosing to live my life regardless. Bula, the Ifa reader, was right when he told me that people will not want to give me the respect that I deserve. So I needed to be careful to keep my safe distance with people because they may not have my best interests at heart. 
He also explained when I feel uncomfortable around certain races of people, it is not me, but the spirit not liking certain cultures. Most black men sink into a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness when they are denied the right to feel appreciated. It was not my wish to come off strange to others when I know that we are all trying to stay above water, yet my life was slowly sinking into a sea of alcoholism. I was struggling with finding the safest route to break the mold and take my dignity back, my devotion, motivating myself because I was realizing society simply does not feel comfortable sharing love with those who are unlovable. This confused me because I had thought that I was loving myself by seeking help and going to AA. I thought by sitting among other broken individuals that I was willing to allow a higher power in my life and begin the process to loving myself, thus being deserving of love. But I see that certain people have fixed judgments which are steeped in conformist beliefs that naturally make me feel uneasy. Buddhists say it is our karma or it is a reflection of ourselves. Then I ask, when will my environment harmonize with how I know myself to be? Maybe I was not loving myself correctly. Then I ask, what more is needed to fully know the way to happiness so I can affect this into my environment? How long would I need to prove myself in a harsh and critical society? Will my perceptions of people ever make sense? And will the fall clear? Will I ever be the change that I want to see in the world? Will I finally feel natural and not as an outsider? Will I be that honorable man possessing the strength of mind that makes me, that makes for true virtue? This heeds to doing the hard work because I did not see my life moving forward, maintaining what I already knew. What I knew was the bars, boozing, random hookups, all habits that I thought was normal. But this behavior is not indicative of a sober lifestyle at all. There was no way that I could expect everything to, everyone to treat me openly and honestly when I was not honest about my own life. Maybe this had nothing to do with people at all. But this was a part of a larger picture that is preparing my mind to recognize my sense of agency in my environment forcing me to push a little harder to establish who I am so that I'm not being brushed aside or treated in a subdued manner simply because other people are uncomfortable and insecure. Maybe the fact that I care about these annoying details was exactly what I needed to be paying attention to because by pushing against these nuances, I am changing the way that I feel that I should be treated in society because I feel love. I should expect this from my environment because I honor and respect because I honor and respect I should be getting these this from people around me. What did it take for me to have reciprocity? What did it take for me to own up to the voice that my higher power is beckoning? Or why should I be delivered? Why would he have delivered me from illiteracy? Why would this higher power let me live to tell all the craziness that has transpired in my life? While all this and yet I I have I fight. I find I am fighting for the most basic level of common respect and decency. This had to be associated with my past life, having to come into this body to learn about my family lineage, revealing to me that my respect is such a reoccurring why respect is such a recurring need in my life. I went to an AA meeting as usual, listened to all the alcoholics, but not wishing to speak myself because I was desperately needing to hear something that would finally click. At the end of it all, the timekeeper recognized that there were seven minutes on the clock. 
So he pointed out. So he, so he pointed me out, and I spoke from from the heart, talking about my determination despite feeling that I had no support. I spoke of a social norms hampering my ability to grow through love, compassion, and understanding, and how this lack of genuine, palpable, and empathic generosity was needed for everyone who walked into the doors of AA, especially for the LGBT members. I could feel the uneasiness in the room, but it did not discourage my candidness. I looked toward the back of the room and saw there was a woman visibly perturbed. Maybe she felt threatened by the fact that I was advocating for gay addicts. Whatever her problem, I did not let it face me. I could feel her energy, and it was an energy of hate and discontent. People think that they can conceal their petty thoughts by not showing it outwardly. But when you are a spiritual, when you're on a spiritual path and the consciousness is awakened, it is easy to pick up on those subliminal undertones. I looked. I could have let it slide, but something interesting happened after the meeting as I was leaving. The same black, heavy-set woman tapped me on the shoulder and, with a cautious tone, asked if she could ask me a question. I was impatient and did not want to answer her question, still remembering the look that she shot me earlier. She condescendingly suggested that I keep coming and find a sponsor, which sounded more like a disingenuous script than being authentic because I felt that she could have offered her number, but it bothered me that she did not. It all was reminiscent of how I perceived to be treated by the Buddhist members at the Kobe, how they half-heartedly make you feel you found a family for life, but then had no intentions of making me feel included, and seldom did I get a call to see how I was doing. I could have been a little more gracious and appreciative by thanking her, but I didn't, but I needed to tell her how I really felt about the matter. Before I can contemplate how to be nice, mean, in a nice way, the words escaped my lips. How is it that I have been coming here for nearly two months and no one has offered me sponsorship to me? I have yet to receive a big book, I asked. The guy who promised to bring me one later claimed that he did not remember who I was when I asked him about it. I can't understand an honest mistake of someone forgetting after years of drug use. But I cannot understand someone forgetting a person that speaks to them every week for two months straight, reminding them to bring them a big book that he promised to give me. I'd rather, put a, I'd rather pull my teeth out than try to understand these addicts. So I was a bit sarcastic, but not in an attacking way. Predictably, she admittedly took offense to my tone, and then her entire mood changed from fake compassion to real angry black woman. We were nearly in a face-to-face boxing match when a senior member stepped in between us. He tried telling me that my thinking was an error and that I was imagining this all entire experience in my head. I also have been used to people telling me how I feel is erroneous and off-base, but I know it was only their perceptions and not the whole truth. There were factors that led to, to, to me making up assumptions and accusations. This has not come out of nowhere. I've been careful not to show or reveal this insecurity, but I felt this was my opportunity to verify my perceptions were neat and indeed accurate. If I had support, she would not have blown up on me so easily. It was no surprise her attitude went from uneasy sympathy to diary of a mad black woman in a split second. She became loud and belligerent, pacing about in a heaped up temper, completely going off on me. This carried on outside the church into the sidewalk, 
but a couple of members stood between her and me as she ripped her insults at me, tearing me a new asshole. I did not engage her further and I felt relieved. Though I would have much preferred not to have been called a faggot, I was glad those members showed their true colors. I told myself that I would not go back to that meeting and I would find another place to that would affirm me not as an alcoholic but as a gay alcoholic. I refused to be discouraged and used that opportunity to bring a stronger self-awareness resolving nothing would become easy. It was not my all-be-all desire to be accepted by the members of AA. I did, however, love the foundational structure and steps it aligned with the principles of Mayat, embodying truth, justice, harmony, and balance. I first learned of Mayat. Mayat is M-A-apostrophe-A-T if anybody wants to Google it. Embodying truth, justice, harmony, and balance. I first learned of Mayat from a man on 125th Street named uh, Fundishi Hudamas. Often past his vendor stand, and we would often have conversations regarding spirituality. And, to, and he sold me the book. Sorry about that. That was uh, just a rude person walking by. I often passed his vendor stand, and we would often have conversations regarding spirituality. And he sold me the book, Spiritual Warriors Are Healers, explaining it would help me understand most of the questions that I had regarding learning to master myself as a spiritual being. In the book, it teaches non-resistance, learning to flow easily even when a challenge arises. The second step is absorbing, neutralizing, and redirecting those forces. The third step is accommodation. Knowing if I create confrontation, I ultimately invite turbulence. And turbulence is felt in the human body temple as physical, mental, and emotional tension. Balance is recognizing that physical balance and emotional upset are like fire and water. They do not mix. And lastly, consciousness. Awareness being the beginning of all of life's lessons. I whereby become aware of my oneness with nature, this allowing me to use my body as a vehicle of expression to give my best gifts to life as part of my own healing. There was no way I was going to allow that hateful woman to destroy the fortune that I had mastered for myself. I was determined to be happy despite that altercation. Self-love starts with not begrudging myself or others while finding the best course to revert, reverting the tricks and deceptions of this disease. I planned to apologize to her if I had ever saw her again, but I realized that I had been given too as much energy that I had desired regarding this regarding the situation. I would leave my frustrations on these pages. The devil finds every attempt to kill, steal, and destroy pleasure, and he finds enjoyment in pulling off the pulling us off our right course and back into hell. A month ago, I would have been thinking this was some tragic and horrible fate of cosmic proportion caused by some wrong I had committed in a past life. But I was learning that my beliefs never helped me love myself unconditionally, but it indicted me to something that I had neither predicted nor controlled, pending me to between two paradoxical realities conferred to me by an ostensibly perfect and insusceptible power. That I was learning as God. The importance. Excuse me. I'm going to just drink some more coffee. It's one of those mornings today. 
the important thing was that I was striving to be the best that I, of what I have been given on this earth. And, the only, and only by grace do I ascend to a higher level of no regression and impart to the other souls the same grace. I did not have to keep going over in my head who was at fault, but I could take accountability for my own actions. My concern was solely on recovering from the addiction of alcohol. I realized people love to point blame and accuse, but no one does an inventory of their own self and asks themselves, am I practicing what I preach? I asked her after all, did she wish to give me her number? And she said, no, she had no intentions in the first place. Members say repeatedly, get a sponsor. And still no one offered to give, be a sponsor to me. I was not mad. I would do the work on my own until I was able to cultivate some positive people who were able to look past their shallow and petty notions to help for the sake of helping. The following week, I went to the same AA meeting where I heard an experience from a lady named Sandy who talked about the not so sober times in her life and something hit home when she confessed all the material things that she had used to feel the hole on the inside of her would never fill the void of loneliness and not feeling worthy enough. I was happy I found the way. Excuse me, just another rude person. I was happy I found the way back to meditating and reflecting on how to recognize the signs that I was living life on a delusional pretenses. After she finished, they went around the room and people gave their day counts but she didn't give me a chance to speak and basically passed over me. So I decided that I would, it would be best to find a gay affirming AA meeting. I did, it, I did, however, approach her after the meeting because I had questions about what turning back the clock meant. I confessed that I had drank a couple of days prior, but I did not feel bad about it, nor did I think drinking would change my, my life dramatically. I was surprised when she became aggressive and quickly warned against drinking. Explained it only takes that first drink that gets you drunk. If I could not stop after the first drink, then that becomes more of a psychological problem than some prediction that a drink will incur future legal problems. And because I was already in legal mess, it behooved me to abstain until my first court date. I thought I'd never drink again did not seem logical or rational to me, though the implications could be harmful. I knew that most, if not all, my alcohol use was done socially and not alone in my apartment because only depressed people drank alone and I never wanted to be depressed, even though that is how I felt. The problem for me now was finding the reason for my depression and the work and work on that without self-medicating myself. Sandy kept saying, get a sponsor, read the literature. <laughs> But I've been asking for literature for weeks and no one offered me a book, nor did anyone extend a hand and offer me their number besides Peter, who I hadn't spoke to or seen since I last uh, he had last given me his number and said that he would be my sponsor. Has been a no show for a few weeks and I could not help but feel that it was to avoid being my sponsor. Why else would he have me write a gratitude list? If he were not invested in my sobriety, it was his no bullshit approach to recovery and his military background, which attracted me to him. I needed someone to keep it real with me. So I asked him over the phone to be my sponsor and he agreed. 
but I have not heard from him since. In the meantime, I was making calls to legal agencies trying to find representation before my upcoming court date. Getting arrested was, was swarming in my head, terrorizing my thoughts of my life falling apart. I was a little worried that a disorderly conduct charge would ruin my career, but I know the devil wanted me to feel worried, stressed, and in despair. My court date was on the 5th of July, which meant that I possibly would have to drop my summer classes in case this case got more serious than I anticipated and I wound up in jail. I still cannot recollect what took place leading up to being escorted out the bar, ultimately leading to my arrest. It made me mad that I ended up in the wrong hands. Now I was at risk of getting a criminal record when I have been working hard to maintain a clean slate. I was dealing with so much emotional drama since I got out of the army to where it felt I was holding on for dear life to stay alive and not sink to my bottom. I knew that I was not helping by self-medicating and I know smoking marijuana was not a loophole to sobriety, but I did not want to give it up. And frankly, I did not desire to quit. Yes, I recognized my weed smoking was counterproductive, but I intended not to be a compulsive to uh, make it compulsive as before because it is an act of doing things unconsciously that holds the individual back. Did this mean that I did not carry the responsibility to make better choices simply because I was aware of my actions? No. I realized smoking led to doing other hazardous things that I would not otherwise do when sober. So my intentions were to set to always do better and not set time and space to the pursuit of change. Whew, it's one of those mornings, guys. Just bear with me. I got 10 minutes to go. The night before, I had a panic attack, but instead of picking up a drink, I went to an AA meeting. I had to go to two meetings to feel that I could go home and sleep. I did not know I did not know it would be this way. I did not know alcoholism can change its form to match the victim's lifestyle. It took over my mindset and weaved into my social life, keeping me in a perpetual state of arrested development. It all feels strange to have come so far in my spiritual spirituality, yet it seems the devil is winning. A deep sadness came over me as it became painfully clear that this would be my life in New York. And no matter how smart and intelligent that I am, it will never amount to the low expectations people have of me. After I finished the bottle of wine at Morningside Park, I became terribly sick. So I left to go home and while waiting on the platform, I started throwing up, stricken with abdominal cramps that felt like my guts pushing through my esophagus. I was able to get on the train and safely home where I had passed out around 3 p.m. I did not have an appetite and honestly I did not want to eat feeling my head was in the clouds. One part of me wanted to stop smoking weed and the other part of me did not want to take another naltrexone tablet again. Naltrexone tablets were supposed to help me not drink but it did not nothing for my weed habits. There is something about my brain that needs to be addicted to something. Whether it's substance, sex, or caffeine, or spending my money in restaurants, I gravitate between these two in order to satisfy my fix. If it is not drinking, it's smoking. If it's not sex, it's shopping. I, I imagine six months of not buying a bottle of alcohol or a sack of weed. I could, not, I could get a lot of debt paid off. 
I would finally be able to take myself on a vacation or be able to invite family up to New York to show them a good time. Despite my feelings about my father, I called him on Father's Day, but he hung up on my face. And I, and I guess it was his way of getting back at me for being gay. I wonder if I had ever made him proud in my... I, I wonder if I ever made him proud to be a father. I guess not, since it was my fault I was molested. A friend told me to love my family from afar and continue taking care of myself because life was requesting I completely give up my altering substance in exchange for my life. It was not a fair trade-off, but my vices have ruled and I have been an active passenger to my own existence. I did not know what would happen if I chose to drink. When I did talk to my dad, I asked him again about my father's molesting my brother molesting me and he had maintained his position offering no emotional resolve within me which would have alleviated any built up pain or resentment that I harbored for my brother in trailer trash fashion he left me more confused and disgruntled but I did not blow up I only assured myself I only assured him that I would not bring it up again hours went by and I felt no better I was hating life and hating men especially black men my, my hate may have been irrational because I had succumbed to the pressure, but I was not sure to what degree, yet I was still chanting and asking for healing. I still desired to seek my higher power, but all I needed was a little comfort and peace of mind. I called my dad back later that evening and probed him again. He sounded lethargic, trying to skirt around the issue, but then relented, finally admitting that he had told me years ago that my brother molested me. He went on talking about how he is a minister and had a sermon he was preparing for that night and how I, how dare I put it in his head, those thoughts. I finally had it and I went off. I blew a lid. I was, I was so loud and angry and I started to, I startled the entire block I was on, screaming through the phone in a frantic rage. I called him everything but a child of God and I told him that I would come to where he was in Houston and step in his face for everything that he was not to me. I called my brother right after and I cur and I and of course he denied it. This back and forth went on with him telling me to ask the other. I felt if I did not address my father violently that I would never break out of this discomfort feeling of being holding has been holding in for several months. It was only a matter of time that I would have to confront them and all them and give them a piece of my mind yet I had no regrets I did not plan on contacting him for a while and frankly I did not want anything from my dad at this point he even tried making me feel guilty about not calling him for 10 years as if it did not play as if he did not play a part in us not having a relationship I believe he is much happier when he does not have to face any of his problems and here I was trying to grow and have closure yet stuff keeps coming up being being on defense has been a phase in my life that I cannot explain. I've been riding this roller coaster for months on end and I still found no relief. I cannot, I cannot figure out why people do not want to see good in me or why they view me in a negative light when I, when I mean well. It appeared being taken for granted and has trinkled over to other members of my family, so I blocked my sister and my mother as well. It was important I maintained this stance against my family because I considered an evil spirit had leaped onto them and had possessed their bodies, causing them to dislike me. 
I realized when I had talked to them that I wasn't talking to my family, but to a demonic spirit. So I needed a break from them. And though I wasn't completely sober, I was doing me regardless. So life would be, have to keep on going, no matter if I was sober or drunk. I did not drink every day, and I was wondering to myself better, finally getting a real, uh, finally getting real about my drinking. There were rules, but then again, the rules go out the window and I stop caring about the rules because I have free will. But what determines whether a choice is right or wrong? I guess it has to do with intent. My intentions were to shine light on my challenges and finally be given this chance to show my uniqueness before I gave two craps what I was supposed to do on this earth, but I was slowly surrendering my life to this higher power I know what God has for me is for me, regardless of how this world treats me. I was listening to T.D. Jake's ministries, and he talked about the enemy needing to remain in the territory of our lives. And even though the devil doesn't have full access to harm us, God allows the devil to stay in our territory, I assume to keep us on our toes so we don't become complacent. Comfort, apparently, is not what God wants in our souls, for our souls. He wants to put us, our souls through the fire so that his true raw energy is revealed in the purest way. In a way, I was sabotaging myself by keeping distractions around to avoid what I did not want to deal with about myself. But it was all fear-based, and I had to figure out what brought it on and my avoidance to, to accept it as a weakness. And that is finally the finale of that chapter thank you so much for listening today you have a blessed and joyous week remember set a goal today the goal has to carry over until Friday or through Sunday make it a small goal make it achievable goal and accomplish that goal let's do it together guys and keep each other motivated each day whatever you're deciding to do in your life thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you in the next segment. Ta-ta!